My staff members will tell you, will testify to the fact that I've been wrestling with this sermon all week. And I feel like this morning as we were singing in worship, one of the critical pieces of it fell into place for me. And that is, the passage of scripture today is going to make an audacious promise. It's really large. It's difficult to believe. And the only way you can believe it, the only way you can step into it, is if you remember what he said back in chapter one, verse one. Unless you have this large, expansive view of who Jesus is, you'll never have the courage to step into the promise the author's about to articulate. Unless Jesus really is the creator, unless Jesus is the word that causes everything in the universe to hang together, unless Jesus really is the exact imprint of the character of God, fully revealing who God is, we're not gonna understand who he is and consequently not have the courage to believe that he can keep the promise he makes to us. It's gonna take that. It's gonna take that for us to believe. You're familiar with these words from the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you that are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Daylight savings time is upon us. This is the bad end of it right now. Now it's two weeks. Is it the 10th of March, I believe, where we turn the clocks ahead and we lose rest? I hate that. I know that the fall is coming, and I'll get that back, and that would be a much better day. But I'm about to lose rest, and I get nervous when things impinge upon my rest because, you know, the older we get, the more we need rest. And that's just... That's just physical rest, right? I sometimes say to young parents, or parents who have young children, regardless of their age, that it's a physically exhausting time. It's a physically exhausting time to chase after little kids in the home. But I would rather have that than the emotionally exhausting time of having teenagers in the home. And I gotta tell you, as much as I love our sons, empty nesting is not bad, is it? (laughs) But I can't promise you the emotional anxiety goes away. And I'm thinking about that as I hear these words from the author. This is Hebrews 4, beginning verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, Let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, as in my anger I swore they shall not enter my rest, though his works were finished at the foundation of the world. For in one place it speaks about the seventh day as follows. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place it says, 
they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains open for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he sets a certain day, today, saying through David much later in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later about another day. So then, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall through disobedience as theirs. I don't know if you've ever played miniature golf, but those courses that have those trick things on them invariably have a windmill, and the paddles go around, and there's a, there's a tunnel through the bottom of the windmill, and you have to time it just right, because some of the time, the paddle obstructs the tunnel. And if you hit the ball while the paddle comes down, it blocks the ball from entering, then you gotta go around the other way, and your sons beat you at miniature golf. So you have to time that because you can't lose to them. And you have to time it so that when the door is open, the ball enters. Much of what this particular passage is saying is that timing matters. The author's saying that there are times that God opens opportunities for his children to enter his rest. And when the opportunity is open, you best enter. What do those opportunities look like? I mean, can't a person just enter the rest of God any old time they want to? Well, yes and no. If you remember back to the beginning of the epistle to the Romans, you remember words like this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. The author's saying humans can't figure out on their own who God is. They should, he says, on the evidence of creation, know that there is a God. It should be evident from creation that there is a God. We have trouble even accepting that evidence these days, but that should be self-evident, but not necessarily who that God is. Because creation speaks the truth about God, we humans tend to create our own gods and our own religions. And those religions usually have some portion of the truth in them because they've gleaned that from the revelation of creation, which is God's true revelation. There's a breath of truth in all of them because most are based on this amazing creation of God's. But the reality is, the creation doesn't tell us who God is. It doesn't reveal to us necessarily the full character of God. We have to wait, what did the author tell us in chapter one? 
for Jesus to come till we finally see the full expression of the identity of this God we serve. And so sometimes the door is open, sometimes it not, depending on what revelation of Christ we received. And then in addition to that, you have to factor in the fact that most of us, many of us, aren't asking the God question all the time anyway. So it's only more or less in times of crisis or confusion or times of searching uh, when we even begin asking the God question. So entrance to the kingdom of God really is only open when we care because we're not paying attention any other time. And when we've received some type of revelation from God, unless God opens this door for us, we're not gonna find our way in by ourselves, which practically means the gate really isn't open all the time. We're not caring or asking or paying attention. Further, I think, there's a sense in which the Spirit works with us, and while we affirm that the Holy Spirit is always working, I'm not confident that every second of every day, he is sending out the invitation of salvation to every one of us. He's working to prepare moments when we can respond to him. But I think if any of us enter the kingdom of heaven, it will be at a time when the Holy Spirit makes us sensitive to our need, when the Holy Spirit wakes us up spiritually, when we agree with the Spirit of God that we actually do need the grace that God offers us, it will be at a time when the gate of the kingdom is opened by the grace of God and at a time when we understand what is required for entry. And if you put all those caveats together, all those phrases together, a time when the spirit makes us sensitive, when we're woken up spiritually, when we agree that we need this salvation, when you put all that together in this passage, that's defined by one word, and it's the word today. Today, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today, God has opened the door. The author's reminding us through all these various citations and quotations that at different points in history, God has in a grand way announced a new today a new entry ramp, if you will, to the kingdom of heaven. And the way today looks when we're on the potentially open road is it looks to us like rest. In this passage, the author is using the word rest to mean the Sabbath rest of God. God worked for six days, and when he finished creating, he rested from the work of creation, creation was complete. Since that time, there have been several specific times in scripture where God opened the door in a very large way and announced today is the day of salvation. Noah entered God's rest when he climbed aboard the ark. Abraham entered God's rest when he left his father's country. Moses entered God's rest when he returned to Egypt. Joshua entered rest when he stepped into Canaan. David entered God's rest because he trusted and believed God. Jesus opened the door to rest when by his sacrifice, 
the veil between us and the Holy of Holies was torn asunder. Each time God announces today, today, today is the day that you can enter rest. But, but what's the exact nature of the rest that's being offered? The rest we're offered is God's rest. Well, what kind of rest is that? Well, it's the kind of rest where you don't cease from all work. It's the kind of rest where you don't cease from all work. In John 5, in the gospel reading, there's a lame man that gets healed. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And the people who are in the synagogue, the leaders start to harass Jesus. What are you doing working on the Sabbath? And Jesus says very specifically, John 5, 17, my father is still working and I also am working. So the kind of rest that is being described isn't a ceasing from all labor, it's something else. Even though creation is complete, even though the plan of salvation is finished, even though God is now fully revealed in Jesus Christ, God is still at work. So if you were hoping that this passage therefore there remains a rest for the Sabbath people of God, was an announcement of vacation? That's not what's in mind here. I was hoping for some vacation in that way, but we're not getting it here. There is no end to work in this lifetime. In fact, verse 11 says, make every effort to enter rest. I think it means there's some level of work to stay in rest. Strive is the way to translate this, to enter rest. So how do you work in order to rest? How do you work in rest? I think in one sense, this rest is obviously about the rest at the end of our earthly days. Entering God's divine rest is certainly about stepping into the future that God has prepared for us. But if that is all that was in mind here, why the emphasis on today? How is it that what we do makes today restful? I mean, I can understand the work hard now so I can rest later part, but how does the invitation to enter rest today amount to actual rest for today? Wiley says in his commentary that entering God's rest is not just to enter the Sabbath rest of God, but to also enter a Sabbath life. What does a Sabbath life look like? Well, there's some clues here in the passage. Verse 10 tells us that those who enter the rest of God cease from their own labors. Cease from all the work they dreamed up themselves cease from all the work that they're doing to meet their own personal goals for whatever they're captivated by. Remember, this author is writing to Jews who have a lifestyle built on physically keeping the tenets of the law and are being tempted to move back from Judaism, back from Christianity, back into Judaism. And so one of the things the author is stressing is 
working to achieve your salvation is not going to be sufficient. It's never going to work. Didn't work for Israel, won't work for you. There's no leaving the land of grace and moving back into a life that is based on keeping a set of rules. That's, that's not gonna provide any rest for us. The door isn't open for good people. Our confidence is not in keeping the law, not in the things we try to do to prove that we're good people. The door is open for people who have faith, who believe that what Jesus has done, what he said he would do, and is continuing to do is true. People who will trust his promise. So we rest from relying on our doing and step into a kingdom where our confidence and our peace is rooted in who Jesus is and what he is calling us to do and who he's calling us to be. One commentator says, when we enter God's rest, we enter God's presence, the heavenly homeland, the unshakable kingdom, beginning in baptism, consummated in the day of the Lord. Entering God's rest means we stop doing our works and start listening to him for his instructions. We begin to cooperate with him and we join him in his work. We can't rely on our works to help us. We rely on his promise. What did he say in Matthew that we heard earlier? Take my yoke upon me and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the rest that's being described here. So I wonder, what labors are we supposed to rest from? What is it that you are doing that keeps you from resting in Christ and his promises? What is it about your life that keeps you in a constant state of worry? At a minimum, those are the works we're supposed to be resting from. But this rest is more than just that. It's more than just stopping the useless things that we are doing to complicate our lives. Remember, this is a rest for the people of God. This is a rest that is by faith in an amazing God. This is a rest from sin. And this is a continuous rest in God through the atoning work of Jesus, our high priest. We trust that he will provide for us, hear our prayers, guide us, and help us. This is embarking on a long trip to a destination to which you've never been before with no GPS, no road map, except for the fact that the passenger sitting next to you in the car says, oh, don't worry about the directions where we're going. I've been this place a thousand times. I know exactly how to get there. I couldn't possibly get lost. It's that kind of rest. Without the passenger, not knowing where I'm going, no GPS, no map, I'm stressed. I don't know the way. But we have the initiator of our faith next to us. We have his promise, and he says, relax. 
one commentator created this picture and he said, when the veil in the temple was torn and we finally had access into the very presence of God, the access granted was two-way. Not only did we have access, but that God through his Holy Spirit now could move into our hearts as well. And our rest is in knowing the presence of the Spirit here and trusting that all of what Jesus promised is true. That's the meaning of rest, believing that God truly is present in us. God is present in us. And all the implications of God's presence within us means that we can have a rest that was impossible before. No anxiety about the nature of the world or the benevolence of the creator. No worry about the character of God or our eternal destiny. No concerns about the significance of our existence or the purpose for our being. No fear that we will fail or disappoint God or in the end not measure up. No fear of judgment or condemnation. No fear of being alone. No fear of death. No fear. Did you catch that? No fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We know his love for us is perfect. He desires to give us his spirit so that we can know that kind of love that casts out fear. In fact, our confidence in God's provision for an eternal home For us, it is so strong that we start living now with the implications of the promise we've not yet received. And so the future promise impacts our daily living today. I don't know if you're like me, but you know, coming up to March 10th, all day Saturday, I'm worrying about the fact that I'm losing this thinking hour of sleep. But when the fall comes, All day Saturday, there's a little extra spring in my step because I know I'm going to get an extra hour of sleep. And I haven't gotten that sleep yet, but just the effect of knowing it's coming has already improved my Saturday significantly. Our whole lives are supposed to be that Saturday. We have the promise of Christ for the end of our days. We have the confidence of the the deposit of the Holy Spirit already given to us. And the, the knowledge, the confidence, the hope we have in this amazing Jesus who has been articulated for us at the beginning of chapter one is that he will keep that promise. And so that promise colors all of the days that lead up to the time that I receive that promise. So we can relax. We can rest. We can step into the rest of God which is essentially our way of believing that when he says, I've got this, he does. And so we can rest. I encourage you to live at rest. To consider what it means to take Jesus at his word. To embrace the promises So live at rest, strive to live at rest, work to live at rest. But as you probably know, 
this is a passage that comes with a red flag. I don't love waving this red flag, but I take it as part of the responsibility to make sure you understand how important this is. What's the warning here? Make certain none of you fail to enter that rest. Everything hangs on entering that rest. Make sure one another have entered the rest. Israel walked up to the borders of Canaan, sent in the spies, saw the giants, decided that God was not able to keep his word and turned around and walked back into the desert. And the desert was littered with the corpses of the Israelites who never entered rest and who were lost. We cannot afford to miss the rest of God. I'm hoping that you're hearing one word in your head today. Today, today, today. God has articulated another day and he says today do not harden your hearts as they did in the desert. When you hear the Spirit speak today, enter his rest. Would you pray with me? Tanya, would you come? Heavenly Father, we've heard your voice. We know that the door is open. And if we have not entered your rest, or perhaps we've entered and decided that we just really didn't believe you could keep your promise and we turned around and walked away. We acknowledge again today the door is open. Would you help us, Lord, to enter your rest? Would you help us to exercise the faith that you give us to believe you can provide all that you promise for us? We ask this in the name of Christ. Just sing a song in closing. As we sing this song together, I would encourage you to ask yourself the question, have you entered rest? Are you living at rest? And if the answer is no to either, that you respond to the voice of God which is shouting today, and that you receive by faith the Spirit of God which is able to keep us at rest. By the mercy of God, may you live each day in God's rest until you achieve his great gift, the promise of eternal rest, to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.